Hello and welcome to a special edition of The One One. I am BJ Ryan. It is Friday the 4th of June 2021 and today I'll be chatting one-on-one with one of the great characters of WA Racing, top jockey Mitchell Pateman. Mitchell, welcome back to The One One. Yeah, good morning BJ. Nice to do it again. <laughs> Firstly, have to apologise for yesterday. We had some audio issues with our interview, Terry, yourself and and me, and uh, but thank you for agreeing to another chat today. So, I mean, we covered a lot of turf yesterday, but um, there were some interesting things that you, that you brought up that I wouldn't mind expanding on. But yeah, thanks again for uh, for doing the quick backup, mate. No, no worries at all. Anytime. So, obviously, the the, the major talking point was just uh, I, guess, I guess one of the career highlights for yourself last weekend. Saturday, Belmont Sprint Day, res- the resurrected career of the Velvet King confirmed with his devastating Belmont Sprint victory and then you uh, you followed up the very next day by riding a horse that you actually trained, being a dual licensed jockey trainer in West Australia, speeding Comet to victory in, uh, in the Mayoral Cup at Kalgoorlie. What a thrill. Yeah, yeah, obviously probably one of the best weekends I've ever had of um... Yeah, them group three weight for age races are never easy to win. I think we ran second in all three of them last year. So mm-hmm. uh, it was good to go one better this year. And then, yeah, Sunday was just, that was something else that's obviously, yeah, just way more sentimental. And, um, yeah, it was a big deal for me Sunday. Yeah, it really felt really good. I mentioned yesterday when we were chatting that I was one of the people who, who was a bit sceptical as to whether the Velvet King would be ever be able to recapture that his his brilliant best, and uh, I imagine he's one of the best horses that you've ever had the privilege of riding. Um, hats off to Darren McAuliffe. What a training performance to, as I said, resurrect his racing career and not only get him back competing again, but winning in devastating fashion. Must what was it like to be a part of that? comeback because as you said the Velvet King he finished second in the Roma Cup Belmont Sprint and Hyperion last year then he was sent across to, to Peter Moody and things just didn't go to plan in Victoria for him and since then I, I believe that there's been a series of hiccups along the way as well but have you been I guess at the forefront of that, that comeback with the Velvet King? Um, probably not as much as prep as I normally would be. Um, I've obviously rode him his whole career and He's been at the top level since he was a two-year-old, so he's been a very good horse to me. We've won a number of black-type races together, and, um, yeah, he's beat some very good horses along the way, and obviously, yeah, he's one of the best horses I've had the chance to ride. But, no, this prep, I haven't rode him in much work. I've just rode him his trials, and um, sort of thought after his first trial that he, he wasn't the same horse anymore, and the second one was a little bit better, but I was still very, yeah, sceptical. And then the third one was probably his best one, but still... I was, still had my reservations whether he was back at his best. Um, I just didn't feel like he was as dynamite as he once was. But uh, Darren assured me on the Tuesday morning that he had him as good as he's ever had him and that he was flying. And that was as good a lead as anything for me. I took a lot out of that because Darren knows him a lot better than me. And, um, yeah, when he said that, I listened. And, yeah, obviously he did what he did. But, yeah, huge training performance. He, yeah, come back from Melbourne, a bit of a broken horse, and then he got sick, and yeah, everything went wrong. So for Darren to get him back and first up off all of that, and, um, to not only just win, but absolutely brain him, he, uh, yeah, obviously very lucky to have him back. Tell us a little bit about Darren McCall. If he's, he's a very fascinating 
trainer and a fascinating stable for mine as a form analyst i i I struggle to get a really good handle on his stable and um and uh obviously he's he's been at the top of his game for a long time he's trained lots of lots of very very good horses uh including um universal ruler who uh who won the belmont sprint as well um what sort of trainer is is Darren, and what what sort of insight can you give us as to what makes him tick? Because yeah, as I said, he's a top trainer and um, wins a lot of big races. He's always got a good horse in his stable. Yeah, I think that probably says a lot. I obviously think Darren's a very good trainer, and um, he has been for a long time. But the amount of good horses that come through that prop- property and through his training regime is it's unreal. Like. He gets horses that they're once-in-a-lifetime horses, but mm. he gets multiple of them, you know. Like, most trainers would dream of having one Velvet King, yet he's had horses like the Velvet King, Gadding, Fuchsia Bandana, Universal Ruler, Impressive Stats, like the list goes on. It's just a lot of horses about the same calibre, you know. They're just very, very good horses. So it says a lot for him. And obviously, Emma does a lot of work as well, so it's a, it's a good team effort, but... What probably gets forgotten is most stables in, in WA, they sort of buy their yearlings and um, train them up and that's the way they do things. But with Darren, they're the whole lot and they're on homebred horses. And mm. that, so they, they their um, operation with a horse starts from before it's even born. They pick the, you know, the matings and, and they breed them and they have them from the minute they're born. So... Yeah, that's obviously a, um, another string to Darren's bow that he's very good at. And, yeah, it's just a really well-run business that, um, yeah, just year in, year out, they train winners and find good horses. Yeah, it's a big business, successful, huge investors in the game. You're right. And, of course, they've got clairvoyance. I'm not exactly sure what's uh, what's going on with her um, health-wise. But, yeah, she's another that you can add to the list of, of uh, super talents that have gone through that particular property. What, um, where did your relationship with Darren McAuliffe start? Oh, I'm not sure, to be honest. No, I think oh, my first ride for him was Fisher Bandana and started about a dollar thirty in town one day and he said, if you get this beat, don't worry about coming back. And I box-seated and got held up to about the 100. And, uh, I was lucky for his ability because he got out and just <laughs> ran straight past him. But um, I think that might have been where it first started but yeah when I sort of come back from Albany he you know, he gave me a really good go and um, put me on in town probably before anyone else and yeah we just I think it was Master Magician was the horse we had a, lot, a fair bit of success with and that sort of got the ball rolling and um, yeah I feel like I've uh, stuck around long enough that um, yeah Darren obviously has a lot of respect for me and I have a lot of respect for him we've had Many a hiccups along the way, but we've always we've always ended up um, all good, and I've never really left the camp. So I think that says a lot in itself. Absolutely. Now, you um, you've embarked on a training career. Um, well, I guess in the following in the footsteps of both your mother and your father, um, you're a dual licensed jockey trainer and. Um, Speeding Comet is the first horse that you've you've taken to the races and uh, got off to a bit of a rocky start, but you uh, you managed to get him to win a race for you and and ride him to victory at Kalgoorlie on Sunday. What's the what what was that like? To obviously a huge thrill for you, but also what's the um, what's the pivot into into training? Uh, what, what's that all about? Yeah, it's obviously um, something I've thought about with my weight situation that. 
uh, probably got to find something after riding because I'll, I won't ride forever. And um, yeah, obviously watching mum and dad and all my uncles train sort of looked like a logical progression. I did a fair bit with mum when I was in Albany and, you know, done a lot with her horses and um, I was probably looking at doing what I'm doing now back then, but um, we hit a bit of a rock in the road when we got um, this little Kester from the sales and she caused me absolute nightmares <laughs> and it, it drove me to the point where I didn't want to do it anymore. And, Can you tell us um, a little bit about so, that, about that experience with, uh, with, with handling a young Thistle Tester? Uh, so, yeah, obviously a lot of a fair bit of my family and a lot of my really good mates own Thistle Tester. And, um, and you picked her out at the sales, sort, is that right? Yeah, yeah, they sort of said to me to pick a horse out, so we went to the sales, me and Mark Nelson it was, and... Um, yeah, I sort of looked at a few. I think Kiss the Breeze was the first one, and uh, she went for a bit too much. So then we went to, yeah, Missile Test and they bought her, and um, she was going to be for, yeah, me to try and get my dual license and train her. And obviously, she's it's very well documented how much of an artist she is, and that started. Uh, she broke in really well, and then when we got her home, she just got progressively worse, and she turned into a nut that you couldn't get on the float, and you couldn't get in barriers, and she wanted to kill anyone and everyone that went near her. And I'd, she'd got to the point where she'd had a couple of gallops already and I knew how good she was. And um, that's what drove me up the wall was that I knew I had a horse with a lot of ability that I couldn't get on a float or get in barriers. So um, it just stressed me out, something cruel. And <laughs> to the point where I said to I said to the guys, I'm out, yeah. I'm giving up on her. And uh, I sort of said to them, maybe give it to Adam and see what he thinks. And obviously, yeah, she kick the career off in fine style. She probably hasn't quite lived up to the height that there was early, but, you know, she's still racing consistently at a good level now. So, um, yeah, you'd be more than happy to have a horse like her, I'm sure. So you had that, I guess, that um, challenging introduction to training with, with this will test you or, or the, uh, the prospect of training. What was the decision-making process that made you apply for the, the dual licence recently? Um, yeah, just sort of was out on the property and, you know, had room for a horse. So I sort of thought, you know, it might be something that I'd want to try and Speeding Comet come along and Darren sort of was happy for me to have a go with him. So, um, I applied for it and the students were very good and sort of, um, granted me that and yeah, that got the ball rolling and obviously he's a, um, older horse that had done it all. So, um, he knew... He knew more than I knew, and I thought I knew more than he knew. So, um, yeah, he went to the races first up, and he was in a very strong race. Obviously, I thought I knew in my mind he'd run last, but I sort of thought he could finish on the back of him, and he finished uh, on the back of the ambulance. He was three hundred meters behind him. So what's, what's that like? I went home that no- oh no, it wasn't good. I went home that <laughs> night. With me. Uh, head between my legs. I think. Um, Jason Brown give it to me, so that was good. That really topped things off. He, he told me how good my training was going. And, bit of positive uh, positive just, feedback from Brownie, was there? Oh, yeah, nothing yeah. like a bit of positive feedback <laughs> from Brownie. I think <laughs> I think this will test your run second last and speed and comment run last, and he said, oh, it's your, your first reverse Grinella, he reckons. So. <laughs> uh, but, no, I sort of worked out probably a week later what I thought I'd done wrong. I thought I'd probably overtrained him, and he's a bit of a, that sort of horse and I thought I'd be able to get him fit and 
get him fitter than he can, he needed to be, and that's that's where he ended up. He just ended up as flat as a tack. When when you take a horse to the races and it goes below expectations, the mind would rattle around for days on end. I I imagine to to try and work out what went wrong, what what your possible um, things you can work on moving forward. How how do you turn that off, or is it just or is it just part of being a horseman? No, it's sort of it's a, definitely a different challenge from riding. Mm. Like if you bugger one up at the races, you probably cook yourself over your ride but then by the time you get home you've forgotten about it and that's the end of it you don't worry about it again so but with the horses you know you you take them home and then you've got to try and work out what went wrong and that'll uh you need to work out what went wrong so it doesn't happen again and you yeah you that takes a, it took me a week to sort of figure out what i thought i'd done wrong there was multiple things i thought it could have been mm. and um yeah obviously being new to training i didn't really know and um, obviously I think I worked it out eventually and um, yeah it seems as if since then he's bounced back pretty well and he's had a bit of a drop in grade too which has helped but um, yeah I think the confidence of last Sunday will do him a world of good and yeah hopefully he can come back to town now and be competitive yeah he, he won really well actually just sat outside leader and and won as he pleased um, I know that your parents uh, were trainers and your uncles have You've got a lot of uncles that are trainers as well. Do you ever, now that you're hands-on, do you have a newfound appreciation for thoroughbred horse trainers? Yeah, I sort of found that when I went to Albany and yep. done so much work with mum's horses. I, I really realised that um, probably took for granted being a jockey that you could, you know, you you go to the races and ride someone's horse and it goes no good and you come in and just tell them it's no good. and You know, that's not really any good to them at the time and, you're, yeah, you're probably a bit blase about how much hard work goes in behind the scenes. Like, I think mum told me multiple times, trainers put in all the work for two weeks just for us jockeys to get on and bugger it up. It's, <laughs> it's not good. So, um, yeah, I definitely got an appreciation of how, how hard it is to train. And, you know, it's very stressful. I, I, I sort of stress a lot about them when I get worried when, you know, something goes wrong. But, I'm sure that will subside in time, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a different challenge and that's probably why I enjoy it. I sort of feel like it's a new challenge and it, it's something different that I've got to try and conquer. So um, I feel like my riding's been at the same sort of level that it has for a long time. So it's um, there's no real great challenge with my riding. I just go around and try to do what I've been doing and keep at that consistent level, whereas with the training, you know, it's a completely different challenge. So that's probably why I um why I do it and why I enjoy it. So you're twenty twenty five years old. Uh, feels like you've been around forever, Mitchell. Is it right that uh, Interrange was your first ride in a race? Yeah, he was. Yeah, the old boy he took me around me first. Seventh of April, twenty eleven. You've been riding for ten years. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been been a long time. Me and Joey would, as a party, were talking about that yesterday. Yeah, ten years is a long time, so it doesn't feel like that long. But yeah, it's um. Yeah, obviously, yeah, I've been around the industry for a lot longer than even that. So I've been going to the races since I was three or four. And, um, yeah, it's been everything I've known for so long. So yeah, it's um, definitely a huge part of my life. As a heavyweight jock, how's the, how's the body holding up after, uh, I guess, 10 years of, I think you even rode half kilo overweight your first ride in a race? <laughs> Couldn't claim your full four kilo claim, but how um, how's the body holding up after years of, I guess, punishment? Really? Yeah, my body's it's reasonably good. Obviously, um, I've got used to 
what I do now and how I sweat and how I how I handle things. So since I fell in the oaks, my back, you know, my back's not great. And when yep. I ride light, it, it it gives me hell. But um, that is what it is. I think that's just when the fluid comes out of where I've broken the um, bone, it, that gets sore. But that's the only sort of niggle I really have. But um, yeah, it's it's um, not too bad. So you're riding fifty six and a half gates of Babylon at Belmont Park tomorrow. What is what is yeah. a, what does a Saturday look like for Mitchell Pateman? Um, a Saturday it will look like I'll get up at probably three tomorrow morning and go to Ascot and ride work, and then Belmont and ride work, and then go out to Lindsay's and gallop my two horses and that Lindsay uh, Smith. That, yeah, yeah, yep. my horses are out at Lindsay's, and then I'll head home after that and get in the spa for two or three hours and probably lose two, two and a half kilos and go to the races and, yeah, ride gates to Babylon and then, yeah, it's all the same again Sunday and Monday this week. So, it's, yeah, it's a busy weekend, but, yeah, that's what we do. So. so have you would you have jumped on the scales today? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is, is... We had a jockey's meeting yesterday, so it wasn't, they weren't too kind to me this <laughs> Right, right. So, okay, so you, touching on that fall, you, you fell on a Cetro in the, uh, I think it was the 2019 WA Oaks. Uh, what, what were the injuries that you suffered in that fall and what did your weight get up to in your break, in your time away from the saddle? Uh, I broke my T4, I think it was, and... I was out for, I think, four months, and I think I must have got to about, generally you never get any heavier than 63, sort of 64 would yep. have been as heavy as I got, which that's not too bad. I've seen um, yeah, I've seen, ride, like, seen riders blow out to 70-plus and come back and ride, so I never get um, incredibly heavy. I just stick around that sort of little bit too heavy to be trying to be a jockey mark. Mm, but, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, that's, that's uh, how it was and yeah obviously I've come back and rode very light since and um, yeah it's, I feel like my weight's a little bit more stable now I don't probably not as heavy as what I can be so yeah that's one positive Did, did you ever waver in your commitment to being a jockey after the Acetro fall? Uh, not after the fall no a couple of times I have I sort of when I went to Albany I'd give it up for probably three or four months just because I was sick of wasting and whatnot and yeah, I've done that a couple of times where I've had a bit of a break, but I, I feel like that's sort of important. And I think both times that I've had a break, I've, I've missed it and wanted to come back and knuckle down and do it again. So, um, yeah, it's, it, I, I sort of have always wanted to be a jockey since I could um, since I could walk. So uh, I would never want to do anything else. It's just it's just that uh, weight battle and constant wasting that. Um, you know, makes me second guess whether I ever want to do it. But yeah, I always come back to it, and I think I always will. And and it's I imagine it must be incredibly satisfying, and the adrenaline rush of winning a big race, Group Three on Saturday, and and winning a a border horse that you train on Sunday. I suppose it's those results and those weekends that that are the carrot that that keep you uh, keep you going. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, everyone likes winning big races, and you know that's where the big money is, and that's what you want to win. But yeah, I think Sunday sort of was really special to me. It, uh, that was completely different to Saturday, and um, yeah, it's just a great thrill to you know obviously win on my own horse that I've you know put so much work into, and um, then winning 
dad's colours even that made it even more special and yeah just, yeah all of that was yeah was very emotional exactly yeah they the yeah the famous um michael pateman colours i remember remember them a lot uh over the years and um yeah your dad michael he trained many a good horse when a railway stakes aboard one of my all-time favorites in in willoughby actually when we were chatting yesterday i was remembering that as a youngster, I was uh, a valet to Stephen Miller in the jockey's room and Stephen used to ride Willoughby um, early doors and then um, I believe Chris Willis had a horse called Bar Dreamer at the time and SJ opted to stick with Bar Dreamer on the, the railway path that year and hopped off Willoughby too and Paul Harvey took the ride on Willoughby and it won the railway and SJ ran second aboard Bar Dreamer in the railway that year. I don't think, when would that have been? Would that have been 96, something like that? 98. 98, 98 was it? Was. 98? Yeah. yeah. So so you were uh, obviously a young fellow when, when Willoughby came along, but that was the horse that really put Michael Pateman as a trainer on the map, didn't it? And, and from there, things just really took off from him um, for, from a training point of view, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he was the best horse Dad ever had and, you know, he got – he won a lot of good races. Um, you know, if you went back through the races he won, if he'd won them now, the amount of prize money he would have earned would be incredible. Like he, he won Lestiers and Prince of Wales and he won all of them races plus the railway plus races in Melbourne. Yeah, so, did he win a, bla- um, a blamey stakes in Melbourne and then he yeah, got, got he beat a, in a group one by Dane Ripper, I think, from memory. Yeah, is yeah, that right? He won a bla- yeah, he won a blamey and a Chester Manifold in, yep. in Melbourne and, yeah, I think he ran second in the fee and behind... Dane Ripper, I've seen that replay a number of times, <laughs> but bet, yeah, yeah. obviously he was just a very good horse. He was probably a bit before I can remember. I can't yep. remember him, but yeah, there were plenty of good ones that come along after him. Obviously, is he still with us, Willoughby? No, he passed away probably four or five years ago. He lived uh, from the day he retired. He lived as a nanny at Mungrup Stud, and oh wow! Obviously, they were Dad's probably biggest supporters. Mungrup Stud, and yep. uh, he lived out all his life there. And he had a great he had a great retirement. I've seen him a number of times in his retirement, and um, yeah, he was so well looked after by them. And he was such a good horse. And yeah, obviously, a lot of good ones come along after that that I can remember. But yeah, he still was obviously the best one Dad ever had. Yeah, he had a lot of success with the the Metal Storm progeny as well, and that they came along at a, at a at a good time for West Australian racing. And Michael Pateman and Munger Up Stud were were a pretty strong combination uh, over the years. So, when did you start? When did you get the racing bug? You said you've been going to the races since uh, you were three years old. But were you always um, in and around mum and dad at the stables helping out, or or did that come later in your teenage years? Um, no, I sort of started riding reasonably young. My auntie, um, Sarah, Jason's wife, taught me how to ride, and um, I had a bit of a pony for a while there. He was a little rascal, and used to ride him around the track and think I was a jockey and <laughs> from a young age. And then I think it must have been when I was about 13 or 14, Dad let me start riding the racehorses. And, yeah, I'd ride a few of them slow work, and I can still remember the horses, the first horses that I rode, Metal Flake, and, um, a couple of them, and you know, they yeah, just that's where it all started. And uh, yeah, I never looked back after that. It's, it's sort of all over. Wanted to do they obviously, mum and dad had a few apprentices, and they had a mechanical horse over in the staff rooms. And I'd ride that every single day. And um, obviously, hasn't helped me style because it's not a great style, but um, yeah, no, I just if it wasn't a mechanical horse, it was a chaff bag or yeah, whatever I could. You know, the end of the couch, whatever I could uh, hit with a whip, I was happy to do so. So, 
um, yeah, it's all I've ever wanted to do. And yeah, I'm lucky, one of the lucky people that have got to live out their dream. Absolutely. So you you mentioned yesterday that you were uh, that you had your whole apprenticeship and jockey career mapped out for yourself um uh, you were you know you're gonna apprentice to your dad and have 30 or 40 horses to to choose from and be the first choice rider and 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 all that sort of stuff um that's not how things worked out for you and as we spoke about your apprenticeship was a was a bit of a a, a slow burn and and i don't i'm not sure what you claimed when you when you came out of your time but can you just just let us give us a bit of insight into what that was like when I guess you didn't necessarily meet the expectations that you sat for, set for yourself and the rug got pulled out from underneath you in, in a way and uh, and I guess you had to sort of um, make the best of things from then on in. Yeah, well, probably my whole childhood, like obviously I knew I wanted to be a jockey and yeah, as you said, I sort of thought I would have dad to support me the whole way through and he had a big stable and I was very entitled and thought I was uh, as good as anyone or if not better and um, even though I didn't have dad at the start of my apprenticeship I still thought that um, because I was Mitchell Pateman and had um, uncles that trained and a dad that was successful I it would all just come to me and um, my attitude probably cost me a lot of um, opportunities and as an, as an apprentice I was sort of apprentice to mum and I'd give her a hard time and not want to do anything and yeah, I want to do my own thing and want to tell her what to do. And um, I think a lot of people seen that and that's probably why I didn't get as many opportunities. And um, yeah, I always thought my ability was probably okay. It's just my attitude that probably let me down. But hindsight's a wonderful thing. At the time, <laughs> yeah. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. So um, I probably learnt when I went to Albany and, you know, I had that bit of a reality check that things, you know, weren't as easy as I thought they'd be. And, um, I sort of knuckled down then and um, probably, yeah, I started to work harder. Um, you know, I've never been a big track work rider, but I, I just started to do more around the stables that I was riding at. I sort of went to Lindsay's and tried to, you know, work hard there and I got some opportunities there and um, I sort of, I suppose I treated myself as an out-of-form horse when I come back from Albany and I sort of, went to Kalgoorlie and on them Saturday meetings when there were town meetings on, I went to Kalgoorlie and rode for um, Pete Fernie, give me a chance. And um, yeah, I just, that's where it all started. I think the first meeting I went there, I rode three winners and then there were three, four every week. And Peter's team was obviously very strong. I think we broke the record, both of us that year for amount of wins in a season. And that's where it all sort of started that um, I felt like I got confidence out of going to Kalgoorlie and I come back to town and, um, continued it on in town and yeah it hasn't stopped since I was very lucky that um, I probably got that opportunity because between Pete and D-Mac that's um, yeah who got me going again Just looking at your stats here so you so you rode 19 winners from only 154 rides in 2015-2016 would that have been when you were coming out of your time? Um, yeah, that might have been when I maybe went to Albany, but yeah, yeah somewhere, somewhere around there, yeah. And uh, yeah. but the following season, you you went bananas. You went rode fifty four winners from only two hundred and sixty seven rides, so you were striking at about twenty percent. So I imagine that was that was the 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 I guess the the turning point for your riding career, anyway. Um, and then since then, you've ridden seventy three, seventy seven, ninety winners, and and sixty eight winners at, at a really high strike rate. Um, do you when did you th- 
I, I imagine that you've always been a pretty confident kid. Uh, when did you feel like you actually really belonged uh, as a genuine top grade, A grade uh, metropolitan jockey? Yeah, I don't know. I sort of struggle to comprehend that, but I still don't think I'm in the same class as William and Chris and all them. I, yeah, I think I, yeah, I still think I ride okay and I think my way through a race well. I, don't, I probably don't look as polished as the top class riders, but I don't know what that is. It might be mm. my height. It might just be me. But, um, yeah, I'm sort of obviously lucky opportunities I get and, um, yeah, my strike rate probably looks a bit better because my weight situation means I can't have as many rides. So I've got to, um, you know, make make the most of the opportunities I get. But yeah, I, I I feel like I just get good opportunities, and I I've been lucky enough to ride for good stables and um, have good support behind me. Obviously, get to ride for Adam and get to ride for D Mac and the Fernies, and yeah, they're just good stables that you know. Even if you're having a bad run, it'll it'll turn because they've got enough good horses that it has to turn. I'm a son of a jockey as well. I've been surrounded by them uh, most of my life. I'm fascinated in in race riding and and strengths and weaknesses. Not trying to um, take you out of your comfort zone or put you on the spot here, but as a jockey, what do you what do you think your your assets are? Your strengths are? Um. I think sort of growing up dad always told me that you had to have a really good racing brain and you used to you think you'd have to be able to think your way through a race and I think I do that pretty well I think tactically I I um I ride well obviously uh, yeah I think that's definitely my strength and yeah obviously I think my weakness is that I'm probably not as balanced nor look as good in the saddle as you know your Chris and William and um, a lot of the other jockeys, but yeah, I I think that I can think my way through a race pretty well, and I think that takes me a long way. I think, in my honest opinion, if you can think your way through a race and tactically get them right, it probably doesn't matter as much how you look on them because um, they, if they're in the right spot, they'll generally win no matter what you're doing on them. So um, yeah. Do you do lots of form? No, no, I don't do much at all. I don't know. I just you know I sort of watch a few replays of horses I'm riding and. Um, leave it at that I sort of think the more I do the more I start to um, think about things I seem to go out if I go out with a set plan in my head then that's when things go wrong but I'm lucky enough that um, I'm a bit of a sicko in the fact that I know near on every single horse that goes around so I can jump out and I would not have looked at a race book and I'd still know every single horse in the race and how it's been going. So I'm lucky in that sense that racing is sort of all I think about. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just lucky that that's how I am, yeah. So take the Belmont Sprint, for example, on the Velvet King. You, you, what's... Is there is there a, there's no so there's no plan A or no plan B. It's just it's just begin. Obviously, with the Velvet King, it's it's always uh, that particular horse. It's always just making sure he get he leaves the gate cleanly. I imagine, although I'm sure that's improved over time. But so there's no plan A, plan B. You just begin and 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 work the race out as it unfolds from there. No, there's probably there's always a plan sort of thing. I I don't go too much into speed maps or anything like that. But I sort of know where I think my horse would be best suited and. Um, I sort of still sort of know what speed will be in the race and those sort of things. Like, yeah, with the Velvet King, plan A is just to get him out of the barriers because that's always been his undoing the last 12, 18 months. And I sort of thought that day that if, if I could get him to step and be outside the leader who I thought might be Money Matters, then um, I'd be in the right spot. But, yeah, I ended up one out one back and Money Matters was one out three back. So I got that part wrong, but... 
um, yeah, we still ended up in a good spot. And yeah, but you couldn't have ridden it any better, really. So yeah, no, he's, he's probably a credit to the horse, but he's become a lot more tractable than he once was. He sort of never would have been able to do that two, three years ago when he wanted to run off the track and yep. do everything wrong. He he was very untractable in the run, but now he's he's a proper racehorse. He can sit in a spot and sprint off a spot, and um, yeah, he's just. Yeah, credit to him, I suppose. What about temperament in the saddle and, and connection with, with the horse itself? Do you, do you feel like having been around the horses your whole life, that that's an advantage for you in a way? Yeah, I think obviously having been in, in the industry my whole life, I've got a good understanding of what needs to happen and what goes on. And um, Yeah, I've ridden horses my whole life. So, I um, yeah, I, I think in that sense, I'm, I'm lucky that, yeah, I, I sort of know what's going on and, yeah, that probably helps me along the way. Mm. So you've won three, uh, four Group 3s now and um, how many of them would have been on the Velvet King? Two or three? Three of those? Um, I think, yeah, to, uh, the Northerly and the... Listia the Classic. Northerly and the, Bel- the Belmont Sprint. I think the Listia might have only been listed. Okay, I, I yeah. know yeah, Ta- Taxigano would be one and Showy Chloe would be the other. Oh, yep, yep, that's right. So you won Showy Chloe, that was 2015, the WA Size Produce Stakes, that's right. But, however, you did finish second in a Group 1, the Kingston Town Classic, one year. What was that like and did you you think you were home at any stage on Material Man? Yeah, yeah, obviously (laughs) um, that was just a pick-up ride. I think Lucy was suspended after the railway and I was living in Albany at the time and Justin said, uh, have you got a ride in the Kingston town? And I said, uh, don't be stupid, Justin. I'm struggling to get a ride in Albany, mate. And uh, <laughs> uh, he said, well, do you want to come ride material, man? He's, no, I hope he can't win, but um, I'll just get you to look after him for me and I think he can win the Perth Cup. And I said, yeah, yeah, of course, no worries at all. And um, yeah, that was that. And we went out there and lobbed him to a great spot and he travelled beautiful and top of the straight when I peeled out, he let rip and... Yeah, I thought he was home only for Poonamu to run him down. And, um, yeah, obviously they had some great battles that prep. I mm. think they Cronulla the Cox Stakes and the Perth Cup after that. But he, um, yeah, he, he, that was a big thrill, obviously. <laughs> I said to Justin, I think that was twice the global flirt hit the front of the Perth Cup and got run down. And Material Man hit the front and then kicked it down and got run down. And his horses never get run down when they hit the front. <laughs> so I well, must have been unlucky. But, yeah, no, it was still a great thrill. And, um, yeah, Justin was obviously a big part of my career too. I went through a stage as an apprentice where I was getting suspended every week that I'd come back. And um, yeah, mum spoke to Justin and she sent me down to Justin's for three or four months. And um, I'd done a lot of work with him. And I, I think he turned that part of my career around where I, um, yeah, he, he taught me a lot of lessons. And he's obviously a very smart horseman. and. Um, yeah, so it meant a lot to run second on that horse for him. But yeah, he's obviously been a big supporter of mine early days, and yeah, I was very lucky that he was a good mentor to me. A lot of people don't remember that you won a race on Black Art Bar. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, no, I was the best strike rate on Black Art Bar. I think <laughs> I was one for one, so uh, we kept it at that. But yeah, obviously, he's probably the best horse I've ever rode, and. Uh, he won like a proper horse the day I rode him. He sat out the back and just swamped him and obviously went on to a lot greater heights after that. But yeah, he, he, he was a very, very good horse, obviously. Were you claiming at the time or was that just, was that yeah. a, yeah? So, so Vaughan, Vaughan Sigler utilised your claim on Black Art Bar. Yeah, he did. I don't yeah. think he needed one. He would have, he would have <laughs> won with uh, 79, let alone 59, but 
um, yeah, I was lucky enough that I think Chris Parnham was suspended. He was supposed to ride it, and he got me on it. And I was on holidays in Queensland at the time, and I come back early to ride him. And yeah, obviously he turned out to be such a good horse. And yeah, I was lucky. Did it spin you out when he was over uh, over East winning eight Group Ones or whatever, he, whatever he won? Like it's uh, uh, it's actually, incredible, really. Yeah, when Vaughan had him, I actually went to Adelaide with him and strapped him in the Goodwood when Glenn Smith rode him when Vaughan had him, and I think he ran third fourth, or fourth. Yeah, so obviously, yeah. yeah, obviously his his um, ability was always going to be good enough to uh, win Group Ones, and obviously when he moved to Melbourne, he um, he did just that. He probably went on to loftier heights than anyone could have thought, but yeah, he's just oh, he was such a good horse, and yeah, any horse that can win with the big weights like he was over here was always going to be competitive over east. Just touching on your rich family history in, in West Australian racing, so your grandfather, Noel Pateman, was was he was he a leading trainer in Western Australia back in, I'm pretty sure he was one of our more prominent trainers yeah, back in was, back in the eighties. Yeah. He he was uh he was one of the top top stables in, in Western Australia and then your your father Michael and um his brothers Jason and uh, and Darren they're both trainers as well but then on your mother's side your mother Maria was a, a jockey and a trainer and and her, her brother Paul was a jockey and a trainer um there's uh, yeah there's there's Patemans and, and hunters everywhere that I'm I'm sure that um that you're connected what's it like to to be a part of part of that and and um is there any added pressure being uh, having the the Pateman last name, yeah, no, probably felt that a bit in my apprenticeship that um, I sort of needed to live up to the expectation of being all right, and I suppose that comes with any family that like, it'd be the same for Chris. I'm sure after following after Brandon Steve, there's a lot of pressure. At least he's lived up to it. So, um, yeah, there's obviously that little bit added pressure, but then with that comes you know how lucky I am that I get to sort of that support from all my uncles and. Um, my first ever winner was for me pop. So, um, who was that? Yeah, yeah, for Noel up at Carnarvon. So, yep. uh, never, never been worse. It was, yeah, that was the horse, and um, yeah, obviously just very lucky. And then you know, I was lucky enough that I got to ride Dreamlifter for Uncle Paul, and sort of when Dad passed away, Uncle Paul become yeah, he sort of he's like me second dad. I speak to him every day, and um, we talk horses all the time, and. Yeah, he, he was. He's been as big a part of um, my life as anyone, and yeah, I'm obviously very lucky to have him because he's a great supporter of mine. And we got to, yeah, go through a great run with Dreamlifter. We won some really good races, and um, yeah, just lucky that I've got so much family that you know look after me. Darren's obviously give me speed and come at the train, and Jason's put me on a lot of good horses. I rode Showy Chloe for him, and yeah, just lucky that I've got that support behind me. So correct me if I'm wrong. Is the is Stephen Pateman the jump jockey in Victoria? Is he is he related to you? Yeah, that's distant relation. Yep. Um, they're from obviously from Margaret River, and yeah, Stephen's a gun at what he does, and um, yeah, he's such a good jumps rider, and I always follow him closely. I talk to him often, and yeah, he, yeah, obviously, yeah, very good at what he does. No ambitions to ride over the jumps like your mate Aaron Mitchell. Ah, uh, no, I'll leave that down. <laughs> he's, uh, he's doing a good job at the moment, so yeah. no, we'll leave that to him for now. I'll try and keep the weight in check so I don't have to go over the hurdles. <laughs> so quickly, can we just chat about Dreamlifter? Uh, a very special horse, obviously trained by your uncle, your uncle Paul Hunter, one of your great, great mentors, and um, 
and and idols, I suppose, in, in the game. Uh, he won the the, the Munger Up Stud Sprint in in the region where your your family, I guess, has is such so prominent. Um, just another just another thrill in in such a in um, in your short career in the saddle, really. And um, and yeah, I mean, you you cop you cop a bit of bit of stick, but we love it. Uh, the the um, the uh, the set the the celebrations when you win a win a big race and none better than when you won the Munger up aboard Dreamlifter. Yeah, and obviously he was such a special horse to me. I um I missed the first couple of starts of his career. I was out when I'd done my ACL and um I'd spoke to Uncle Paul about him a fair few times before he even trialed and Uncle obviously um Dreamlifter's mum was Ebony Storm who Paul trained and she was such a good horse and she was a good um, horse yeah. Uncle Paul had a really good opinion of him from an early age, and I remember he won his first two starts, obviously, really well, and um, then he just got beaten the Breeders' Classic, and then he went for a spell, and when he come back, um, first up, I was my first day back from my knee injury, and they, um, Paul and Gary Cummins' owner put me on him, and I think he started a short-price favourite, and I think he ran second that day, and um, yeah, and then they put me on in the next start and he won well. And then he went to the Belmont Guineas as a short price favourite, and I give him the sorest back of all time. And, <laughs> um, he ran nowhere, but it was sort of the story of his career, I think. For a lot of, a lot, big part of his career, I was based in Albany, um, not riding much at all. And I know, I know that there was a lot of pressure on the owners and Paul to put a city jockey on him because I wasn't riding as much. and um, Paul never let that happen. He made sure I rode him his whole career. Every time he started, he wanted me on him if he didn't have to claim off him. And that's just why it meant so much. They, you know, they instilled a lot of faith in me. And even with all the pressure they were under, they still stuck strong. And yeah, that was why when we won them big races, it meant the world to me. But um, yeah, Paul's had me back the whole way through. And yeah, I'll never forget that. He's um, yeah, been very good to me and I'm very lucky to have him. So Paul, you said, is someone you speak to daily about uh, about your riding and about racing in general. Who, who are some of the other influences that you have and um, heroes, I suppose, or, or people that you check in with to, I don't know, review your riding, to ask questions about your training? Um, I guess, yeah, just mentors with, within the game. Who are some of the people close to you that you turn to? Yeah, obviously mum's probably one of the biggest as well alongside Uncle Paul. She... Um, She's definitely my biggest critic. There's not too many positives. Not too many positives get told to me from Mum, but a lot of negatives come out. So um, that's the way Mum is, and she keeps me feet grounded well and truly. But yeah, I'm obviously very lucky that she has a good understanding of everything and everything racing, and um, yeah, she keeps me in check. And um, yeah, she's obviously done a great job with you know she's raised us kids on her own for a, a long while now and yeah she's still how many rich. of you are there mitchell uh, i've got a brother and a sister yes um, jockeys yeah, my sister's, jockeys potentially uh, no my sister wouldn't know the back end from the front end of all yeah <laughs> she has no idea at all and uh, josh works at perth racing he works on the grounds there and yeah he loves the horses he's first um He's got a small share in speeding comedy. Was his first horse. Oh, uh, brilliant! Brilliant. Uh, I think he said to me after his first start, uh, "Where's the refund button? I want the refund." <laughs> <laughs> Cash <laughs> out. Said, oh, you're, quick, you're quick to sack me, Josh. And, um, 
then when he runs third, second, and first, he thinks it's the greatest thing ever. So, um, yeah, obviously, I've got lucky to have a good family, and yeah, mum's yeah, mum's been very good to me in the advice she gives me, and. Yeah, jockey-wise, I've probably yeah, I don't really talk to any jockeys about me riding and that. I'm obviously really, really good mates with Joey as a party, and we do a lot of stuff together. But yeah, that's probably more just away from the races more than anything. Just on your mum, you for those listeners who who aren't aware, Mitchie got stung twelve hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> by the stewards for his um his uh, exuberant uh, pre-post celebration for the Velvet King in the Belmont Sprint on Saturday, and um, you got some some um, some feedback from your mum regarding the uh, the salute. Yeah, it took her a couple of days. I think it might have taken her a couple of days to write the message because it was a six paragraph. <laughs> a couple of days later, I got a big message and I didn't know what it was about. And I started reading it and I thought, oh, yeah, the first bit's giving me a cook about the fire. But no, no, the whole thing was giving me a cook about the salute. So she's not a fan. She hates it, absolutely hates it. But uh, I tried to explain to her that... Um, it's a old person thing not to like it, but she doesn't like when I say that either. <laughs> so um, no, I think it's just a, uh, it's a difference in opinion, I suppose. You've got to be very careful. And I should be more careful than what I am. She told me. So yeah. I should take her advice on board. I suppose. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So like it's yeah. We are, as I said, we we love it. The 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 excitement that um that you and the enthusiasm that you bring to to the game is is um is brilliant like we we had michael gangemi on uh, a couple of weeks ago on the one one with terry and myself and when that when that stable has, has a winner and you're at the races it's just it's huge like the, the buzz is because they've got so many people involved and it's just uh, it's great for the game and and similarly when impressive racing they, they have a winner and there's always a lot of people involved in the ownership and that it's it's a great thrill and then to see what it means to the jockeys as well because i think sometimes Jockeys get a bit of a bit of a bum rap in a way in that, that as you said they sort of hop on and hop off and they can they can forget about the the, the ride as, as soon as it's done but to see that it means that winning means so much and and you guys get such a such a kick out of it I guess it uh, it's great for the game as well what, what do you what do you feel about that Yeah definitely obviously um yeah um, people love probably finding the negatives in jockeys yeah. and what we do wrong and. Um, yeah, I suppose pot and jockeys, but at the end of the day, we're not robots. We can't get every single one right, and um, we all go out and do our best. And you know, things don't go right all the time, and you know, you can't help that. that that's the path of the course. You need all, you need a lot of luck in racing, and yeah, when things come off like they do Saturday, obviously, it, yeah, it's more special than it's more special than um, normal. But yeah, it just yeah, it obviously does. It means a lot to us, and. Yeah, we, we're all going out there trying to win, and um, yeah, when you can win a big race like that, it, it yeah, it really does count for a lot. Yeah, and it just it brings so much to the to the to the day and and the occasion as well. Like it's uh, where um, it's a it's a big industry, and but we need we need those moments uh, of excitement to to help promote the game, um, and uh, and uh, yeah, and just just get the. Yeah, I guess the enthusiasm and levels within West Australia, West Australian racing kicking. So, may we uh, we really uh, here at the one one especially we really appreciate. Um, I guess your love of WA racing and how that comes out in in uh, in your riding as well, and now your training, of course. But um, 
Before we wrap things up, mate, what does the future hold for, for Mitchell Pateman and uh, what are some of the, the things that you'd like to achieve? Yeah, obviously, just want things to keep going how they've been going and obviously try and ride as many winners and big race winners as I can ride. And, yeah, obviously, my training, I, I just want... Um, I've only got the two in work, but if I can... Um, if I can get them to race consistently, that, that that would be great. And yeah, just love to try and win a Saturday race with one of them. I think they're both probably capable of doing it. So um, hopefully we can get one of them to or both. All right. And if there is one race on the West Australian racing calendar that you uh, desperately want to win, what's the what's the what's the top what's the top pick? Oh, obviously the railway. I'd yep. love to um, emulate what Dad done, and I'd love to win one. Obviously, it's very hard with. It being a handicap and yeah. my weight, yep. my weight situation, but yeah, if I could choose to win one, that'd definitely be it. Excellent, Mitchell Pateman. Thanks, thanks a lot for your time. Thanks for doing the the, the quick turnaround with us here at the one one again, and uh, we uh, really appreciate your time that you've given up on on a Friday, and and best of luck with all your future endeavours. No worries, thanks, mate. Appreciate having me on.